Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's a, my pleasure to open the Word of God for us. Uh, if you have it in front of you, keep Psalm 73 open. Uh, that's what we'll be going through. But before we do, how about we pray and we ask God to help us to hear what he'd have us learn. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it still speaks to us today. And we pray that you will give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and the will to put into practice all that you would have teach us this morning. Amen. So it's now the 21st or something of January, uh, which means all our New Year's resolutions are well and truly given up on, uh, particularly if you're anything like me. Uh, but it's still a good time to figure out what our focus should be, where we should place our priorities in this year to come. And that's exactly what Psalm 73 is all about. It's about Asaph working out his priorities. Unfortunately, we're not told a lot about Asaph, the guy who wrote this psalm, but we are told that he actually wrote a number of psalms in the Bible, so he was probably someone who worked in the temple and helped out in the music group, uh, probably leading the music group or just writing songs for them to sing in the temple in their worship. And we get to Psalm 73 and Asaph has a problem. He's stuck. He knows that God is good. Everybody tells him God is good, but he looks around and he doesn't see it. He doesn't feel God's goodness. He looks and he says, why do good things happen to bad people? I've been faithful all my life and I have nothing and all these evil people have got everything. How is God good? How does that work? In fact, he summarizes it for us in verses 2 to 3 when he says, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. By saying he almost lost his foothold, he's saying he almost gave up on God. He looks around, he saw how well the wicked are doing, and he says, maybe following God's not worth it. Because the wicked and the arrogant that he speaks about, when the Psalms talk about the wicked... It's talking about people who choose to reject God and live their own way. The arrogant is the people who decide, actually, God's laws are bad. We can do our own thing. So he looks at anyone who says, God is worthless. We don't need to live his way. And he goes, hang on. They're doing better than me. Why have they got so much more money when I am living God's way? When I've given up my life to work in his temple and I've got nothing, and they have everything. Verses 4 to 9 is just a list of all the good things these wicked people have that Asaph doesn't feel like he gets. And then in verses 4 and 5, he even goes so far as to say, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. God calls his people to be generous, and these people ignore that call and so hoard all their money for themselves. They ignore God's call to look after the vulnerable, so they exploit their workers and make even more money, such to the point that they've got the best health care and they're free from common burdens. And Asaph goes, what's going on, God? So he turns to the one place that he thinks he might be able to find an answer to his question. He heads to the sanctuary of God. We see that in verses 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. 
And then I understood their final destiny. In searching for an answer to his problem, he turns to God's people and God's word and comes into God's presence. And God doesn't answer him. God changes his perspective. A great reminder that of all the questions we have, sometimes God is generous and will give us a direct answer to our questions, but sometimes he'll remind us that question is not as important as you think it is. You're asking the wrong question. Here's the better question. So Asaph gets shown by God the better question to be asking because he didn't take into account our final destiny. God says, yes, these people are rich and strong and carefree, but that won't matter in eternity if they are not rich towards God. God is good to his people, not because he blesses us in the 75 to 80 years that we have on this earth, but because he blesses us in the eternity that we have in the next life. God says, yes, they've got money. But when they face the final judgment day, they're not going to be able to bribe their way into God's kingdom. The final exam on judgment day will not be a, how much is in your bank account? What's your net worth? It's going to be, have you found your refuge in God? And so all the supposed blessings these wicked and arrogant people have will amount to nothing. And Asaph gets to see firsthand Yes, this life may be difficult, but God's assured me that the next life will be better. What's 80 years of suffering compared to eternity with God where there is no more death or crying or pain? That's the perspective shift that Asaph needed. Look at eternity. Don't look at the temporary. And as he's considering this, Asaph reflects on his behavior and says, I was like a brute beast before God. I acted like an animal in my distress. But lovingly, he can still say, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Despite his behavior, despite his doubts, despite his questions, God has never left Asaph. God is bigger than our doubts. He is smarter than all our questions. We do not need to hide them from him. God does not cast us out simply because we have doubts and questions. He gently guides us and says, let me reassure you. Let me find you an answer. Questions can only find answers when they're asked. Doubts can only find reassurance when they're voiced. So do not be afraid of your questions or your doubts. God is big enough to handle them. He's given us this psalm to say, it's okay to voice your doubts. It's okay to be confused. And then when we come and gather as God's people, when we gather around his word, hear him speak to us, our questions get answered. Our perspective gets changed. Our doubts are reassured. This is the beauty of the Bible and the book of Psalms is that it says your confusion, your anger, your doubts, it's okay. God can handle them, give them voice and let him guide you by your right hand till you can find the comfort and assurance that you need in his word and amongst his people. 
Now we get to the key question that you need to ask every time you read the Psalms. Where is Jesus in this psalm? Jesus himself tells us that the Old Testament, the law, the prophets and the psalms all points to himself. And more than that, Jesus lives out the psalms. He embodies them. They give us a roadmap for his life. So when we read the psalms, it's really important that we say, hang on, where's Jesus? Well, when we think about it, if anyone is allowed to give voice to the same doubts that Asaph had, surely it's Jesus who lived the perfect life, who did not reject God, who did not sin, who deserved no suffering and yet faced suffering, rejection and loneliness for the entirety of his life. If anyone's allowed to ask these questions, surely Jesus can. The king of the world, the maker of of the universe, the voice that created the world came into this world and instead of being listened to, was ignored, jeered and mocked. The king of the world who deserved palaces and acclaim and everything that the world has to offer was given a stable and some shepherds. The one who could have called heaven's armies to take his throne by force was murdered on a Roman cross. Not because he was focused on the wealth and pleasures of this life, but because he knew that his short time of pain and suffering would mean an eternity of glory for everyone who would follow him. Instead of bemoaning the things that he gave up in this life, he was focused on the next, knowing that his death and resurrection would lead to glory and everlasting happiness for all of his people, not just himself, for any who would call on God and live. He is the one who lives out this psalm, who shows us what it looks like. And then, as his people... He invites us to join with Asaph and conclude, You have guided me by your counsel. Afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Jesus now sits in heaven and invites us to focus our eyes on him and on the world to come. To say, earth has nothing I desire. I don't need to chase the riches of this world at the expense of the treasure that will never perish, spoil or fade that is kept for me in heaven. This is exactly what Jesus was getting at with the parable of the rich fool that we heard earlier. The money, the wealth, the status, the power, the friends, the family that we accumulate in this life will mean nothing if we haven't had our eternity sorted. If we don't take refuge in the God who says, come to me, I will make sure your eternity is safe. This life is 80 years. What is a bit of suffering and hardship when compared to the eternity in the world with no more death or crying or pain that God has promised to all who take refuge in him? This psalm is a call to shift our priorities. 
to remember that God is good not because he showers us with money and stuff, but because he assures us of an eternity with him when Jesus comes again. To invite us to say, store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth so that our treasure will truly last. And yes, there will be times when the world will look at God's people and say, why are they doing that? God calls on his people to be generous to use their strength to serve other people instead of themselves, to give up the pleasures of this life that the world would have us indulge in without thinking. And to the world, that looks weird and different and feels like suffering. But God says, it's worth it because he has treasures stored up for us that we can never possibly imagine because we can't fathom just how long eternity is. This is why we can claim that despite the brokenness of this world, God is still good to his people. Because instead of saying, yeah, I'm just going to give you lots of money for 75 years, God says, no, I'm going to give you eternity living in my kingdom. Where far too much like little children. Far too often we'd say, God, actually, instead of eternity, I'd rather have the money right now, please. But God says, that's not good for you. Let me give you what is better. This is the perspective shift that Psalm 73 invites us to join in, to question with Asaf, God, how are you good? And to hear God's answer, I am good because I have blessed you in eternity through the death of my son. So let's focus on what matters. Let's not get caught up in the 80 years that we have here and waste them accumulating stuff that will not last. But let's focus on eternity and focus on the things that God has blessed us with richly, beyond all imagining, so that we can live the life that he calls us to live even when it's hard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are willing to hear our doubts and our questions. And we pray that you'll help us to focus on you and your kingdom throughout this year. Amen. Now, normally in Cowra, I get give the congregation opportunity to ask any questions that they have. If you have a question, feel free to ask me now or catch up with me over morning tea. I'd be more than happy to talk to you for as long as you like.